You are marvelous people. I was talking with Pastor Myers just a minute ago, and he was just saying, look at the crowd. And this is with an early service, too. The early service doesn't have as many as here, but still, where would we put everybody? He says, maybe we need to go to three services. <laughs> but we're growing. And it's because the Lord is doing some great, great things. We serve a great God. And, and this is such a marvelous church. You're a marvelous group of people. And thank you for just making my wife and I feel so welcome the last couple of years since we have been here. We have been so blessed. I'll tell you, with that music today, that worship, it was like taking me into another realm. And then the prayer warriors of this church and the friendliness and senior pastor Hadabaugh is such a remarkable, unique person. My wife and I were talking this morning. Yes, give him a, a round of applause. We were taught, my wife and I were talking this morning and just saying, uh, I said, you know, the things that he's able to do ministerially every week coming to the pulpit most weeks and giving us a fresh word. And it's not shallow. It, it's, it's strong teaching. It's good stuff. It's good preaching. It's inspirational. It's anointed. And uh, you get that consistently along with the other um, pastors of this church, Pastor Volan, Pastor Gutridge, Pastor Bibi, Bibi Pastor uh, View, just the others who, who minister in this pulpit. So many wonder, wonderful things that you are hearing. And then what our senior pastor does is there's a need somewhere. And I was telling Brother Meyer, I said, um, I'll pray about it. And then people will starve. You know, I mean, I'll pray and then... Like, not much more will happen. And I know that prayer definitely does something. I believe that. But our senior pastor makes it a part of his being where he says, we're going to organize. We're going to make this thing happen. We're going to take it. And then he organizes people here and people in the community and people around the state and nation and is a part of such a great work. And we get to be a part of all that. And now I get to be a part of that. Not that I never was before, but it just seems like it just happens all the time here. It's just constantly happening. Do you realize the good things that are going on? I hope you're thankful for your church. I, I, I hope that you've gotten appreciation. I know churches aren't perfect, but I hope that you have an appreciation. And if there's something negative in your spirit, would you do yourself a favor today and repent of that before you leave here? Get that out of your heart. Let the power of the blood purge you. It's not a rebuke. It's just trying to encourage you uh, and help you to see. Amen. I want you to take your Bible with me and open up to John chapter 1. We'll start at verse 24. It's 1148. I have a 35-minute message, maybe 40, and, uh, but it won't go longer than that. And if you will really get with me today, you'll focus in. We're going to see something in God's Word, and God has something for us. So let's open up our hearts to the Word of the Lord. John 1, starting at verse 24. And they which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, this is, they're asking John the Baptist, why baptizest thou then? If thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet. And John answered them saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latch it, I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. 
The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Then in Luke chapter 16 and verse 13, Luke 16 and verse 13. This is Jesus now, and he's teaching and says these profound words. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. I want to draw your attention to two words used in verse 13. The one. And Jesus says that twice. The one. Saying you can't serve two. You've got to serve the one. That's it. There's always going to be the struggle, but it's got to come down to you making your choice to serve the one. When John the Baptist had his spiritual eyes opened up, he said, there's one among you standing among you. It's coming out from you. I'm not worthy to even get down and and tie his shoes or unloose those shoes. I'm going to baptize with water, but he will come and baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And then when he saw Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Everything boils down to the one everything comes down to one thing and that is the one and for a few minutes this morning I want to preach to you I want God to work in your heart I want him to open up your eyes of understanding and give you a revelation I want something to happen within you concerning the one. Put your Bibles down. Open up your eyes, your heart to the Lord right now, and let's worship him. Lord God, we worship you as God alone. There is no one else. We dedicate ourselves to you. Lord, we look to you. We reach out to you. We open up our hearts to you. Your word, your spirit today. Cover us with your blood. Speak to us and change us so that we can truly serve the one in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn around to somebody today and say, I serve the one. And you may be seated. Politicians, social activists, celebrities, sports stars. In fact, every human being seems to be geared toward the one. It's a strange phenomenon. But we're looking for somebody who has the answer. Somebody who can bring about what is needed in our personal lives, in our communities, in our family, in the world. So we look to elect people and hoping this one is the one. In fact, that process will continue all the way until the Antichrist is looked at as the one and he's put into office in whatever capacity that may be, whether it's here in this country or if it's in some international position, uh, some formal or informal position. 
everyone is looking for that. Everyone is geared toward that. And there's this human tendency sometimes to even want to be that person. Sometimes we fantasize and dream of what we're going to accomplish. And sometimes it's a good thing. It's a, it's a vision of the Lord or a dream that is inspired by God. But sometimes it seems like we're at the center of it and maybe it's a little more about us than, than anybody else. Um, there's this thinking and you can see it manifested in our society. You can see it in movies that are produced. Now I'm not familiar with all the movies that I'm going to be mentioning here because I've, I've not watched them, but I, I remember when they were being advertised and maybe picked up a little glimmer of it, and then I looked at the synopsis of it, and, and there, there's a pattern in these. I don't know where they got their ideas from, because some of them are extremely creative, have a lot of details in them, definitely try to get your attention through all the graphics, technology, and, and everything, and of course the script writing and the acting. Uh, they spend you know, multi-million dollars to, to do these productions, but there are some themes that seem to be pretty consistent. Now, is it coming uh, just from an innate desire to see these things come to pass? Uh, or is it something that maybe is influencing these writers because they live in a culture that has been influenced in at least some way by the word of God? And maybe they've heard the story and it resonates with them. And so when they sit down and pen their stories, they... Uh, have some themes. But think about this. There was a, a movie that was out several years back where aliens attack the earth, a very common theme, and they take dominion over major cities. And so there's this um, spaceship that comes down, and it's like a quarter of the size of the moon. And it's sitting up above, I don't know where, if it was Washington, D.C. or something. And then there are other spaceships, some come out of that over other major metropolitan areas of the world. And uh, these spaceships are like 15 miles wide. And you look up in the sky and, and other little spaceships are coming out. And, and these aliens then take dominion over the world. And they begin to kill millions of people, especially in those large cities. Doesn't that sound kind of like what may be happening spiritually to our cities, think about Chicago and New York and Miami, and that's just here in the U.S., and you go overseas, and, and the spiritual darkness that overwhelms many of these major metropolitan areas, and sometimes it's more than a city, it's an entire nation that is in darkness because of the demonic activity and the prince and of the power of the air that takes dominion over the cities of the world and the people of the world, killing so many of them and destroying their lives spiritually. But then in this movie, someone rises up. They have a plan, and they go and implement their plan, and they lay down their life, and they save humanity. Sound familiar? Like something from the Bible? Well, there's another uh, movie. This is about the, the last man standing on earth. He's the last one. Everyone else is gone. And then he finds out that there are these forces, these aliens who are tracking his movements, and they're trying to look for an opportunity to kill him, and they're coming after him. But he devises this plan that he is going to reverse the consequences of what these aliens had done, he's going to reverse it by somehow doing something with his own blood. And so he lays his life on the line once again, and he sacrifices, and uh, actually his plan is fulfilled, and, and somehow he's able to save humanity by reversing that curse. Sound familiar? Sound like something that you and I hear every Sunday and we never even have to rent it to see it. We just come and see it live every Sunday. And then there is the one, I did watch this one because I'm into history and, and I, I enjoy studying different time periods. And in this one, there is a hero. He's a general and he is beloved and he has accomplished good things and he's actually earned the position to be an emperor. And he's appointed and anointed to do that. But before he's put into power, the 
evil uh, person who thought that they should be in that position and they lift themselves up and they end up killing the uh, emperor who handed over that position to this general. And then this man in his uh, wickedness uh, has plans to destroy uh, everyone who opposes him, but especially this general so that he can rule unopposed. And, uh, but this general somehow escapes and uh, becomes a slave and in his slavery, he learns, not actually learns, but he's already a warrior, but becomes a gladiator. And through that gladiatorial system, he works his way up until he's challenging face-to-face -face that evil emperor and then ends up killing him and in the process lays down his life. Well, does that not sound like something that is very similar to our great God in heaven who became a man, who did what uh, no man has ever been able to do, and he conquered life by living sinlessly. He conquered death by being raised from the dead. He laid down his life for us, and he's alive forevermore as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There's even one of these films where the person who is the hero who works his way through the system and, and uh, fights to the death, this one is called The One. All the other superheroes, the Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman, people like those stories because they're looking for one who is going to be able to save them, one who has the right motives and the heart, one who cares, one who has the power and destroys the enemy. Well, I want to tell you about that one today. I find him in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God. Before there was any other being, before there was any other thing, there was one that existed, one who existed, one alone. It was God who stood on the balcony of time and space, who stood before there was a universe, before there was even empty space, and somehow that one brought it all into existence. He was one. He was the one. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. He was a singular God, one being, the one, the one who is, the necessary being, the source of all being, the creator, the first cause, the beginning of all things, the beginning and the ending, the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the source of all life, the self-existent one, the I am. The I am. He alone. He is the one alone, no other being. Deuteronomy 4.35 says, the Lord, he is God. There is none else beside him. Isaiah 37.16 in the New International Version, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Isaiah 44.6 I am the first and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Isaiah 45, 21, there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. He is the one, and you know him. You're here to worship him today. So why don't you just go ahead and praise him for a minute. Go ahead and give them some worship right now. Jesus, our God, we worship you. I worship you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. You may be seated. That word God is used so many times in the Old Testament. It's like 2,500 times. 
that word God is used. It's a singular word. However, there is a plural aspect to it. Now, some people have mistakenly said, oh, it just means that there are many beings in God. No, no, no. That totally negates everything grammatically about that word, everything scripturally about that word. When that word is used again, and it's in Greek in the New Testament, it is always a singular word, theos. It's always a singular. And the way to tell, and this is good Bible interpretation right here. Every time you want to see what something means, let the Bible interpret itself. Just look at the verb that follows that noun. God created. Created is a singular word. It's called subject-verb agreement. If you want to find out if the subject is singular or plural, look at the verb and the verb will tell you. But you can look at other parts of speech too. In the Old Testament, there are over 11,000 pronouns that describe God and they are singular. I and me and my and myself and alone. God is a singular being and he tells us thousands and thousands of times through verbs and pronouns and adjectives that he is a singular being. He puts it out there constantly. The Jews got it. They understood it. They looked at it for 4,000 years. And Jesus said to the woman at the well, we, the Jews, know what we worship. Now, he didn't say that every Jew had a relationship with God. What he said is they know what they worship because salvation is of the Jews. And the Samaritans did not know, but the Jews did. And to this day, 6,000 years from Genesis 1-1 to this very day, the Jews understand that there is one God. There is only one God. He is a singular, unitary, solitary being. He he is alone and there is no one else. The Jews know what they worship and he is a singular God. So what is that little plural part in the Hebrew, Elohim? What is that little part at the end? What does that mean? And why is that in there when it is oftentimes associated with some type of plurality? Well, we know that Moses was called Elohim and he was a singular being. We know that Baal was a singular false god. We know that there were some other singulars that had Elohim in it. So we know it doesn't mean that there was a plurality. But people will tell you that's what, that's what it means. However, there has to be an explanation. This singular God had plural attributes. This singular, solitary one being, the one, had a multiplicity of excellent qualities and all of them to an infinite degree, infinite knowledge. Think about it. He knows how many atoms are in the universe. He knows how many molecules are in this pulpit. And how many fell off on my hand when I touched it? He knows how many electrons are in the sun and how many electrons are in this few drops of water in this glass. And I'll probably need more electrons in just a little while. And he knows exactly how many there are because he has infinite knowledge, infinite understanding, infinite wisdom. But not only that, he has all power. That's why we call him almighty. He has infinite power, infinite strength, infinite majesty, infinite authority, infinite goodness, infinite moral excellence, infinite virtue, infinite holiness, infinite mercy, infinite love, infinite grace. Think of his infinite qualities. They are plural. They never end. In fact, the angels from the beginning of their creation until now and throughout all eternity, there are angels around the throne who never cease to say, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, holy, 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 because the holy 
holiness is so infinite. It goes beyond our comprehension. He is so pure. He is so good. He is so holy. The only way to say it is to say it in a plurality. But he is one and only one. And he tells us over and over and over and over again. From this one came all things. From him came angels, the heaven, the earth, water, light, the firmament below the waters, which is our atmosphere, the firmament or space above the waters, which we call outer space. He made the dry land appear. He made all the vegetation, the grass, the trees, the plants, the herbs. He made the sun, the moon, the stars. He made the birds. He made the fish. He made the insects. He made the land animals. He made it all. And he said, it's all good. Because the infinitely good God knows how to produce good. It just flows from him. It flew out of his mouth. It came out of his being. God is good. And then on day six of creation, the ultimate part of his creation, the pinnacle, was making man, male and female. He made man in his own image after his likeness. And when we look at Adam, we see a singular being, which lets us know something about God. We know what the Jews knew, that there is one and only one God. He is a singular, solitary being, and he is the one, the ultimate one. Jesus was asked by a scribe who was a master of scripture, said, tell us, what is the first and the great commandment? Of course, Jesus knew. He knew what the Jews knew. He knew it two ways. One, because he was the God who inspired that writing of those scriptures. And he was the one that it was written about. But he also knew it as a man because he studied and he understood what the scriptures mean and what they pointed to. And so he quoted this. He said, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now that's the foundation of the commandment because you have to know who you're going to love. And then he gives the command, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And there's the commandment. This is called the Shema. Shema Yisrael. Adonai Eluheinu, Adonai Echad, Shema Yisrael, Yahweh Eluheinu, Yahweh Echad. And when you look at that, there is a word that is at the end of that Deuteronomy 6.4. In Hebrew, it reads a little different than how we have to put it in English for it to make sense for us. We said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. So we have Lord at the end of that sentence. But in Hebrew, the last word is not Lord. The last word is one. Echad, one. Jews quote that every day, or they should. They knew that it was the main scripture. And so Jews want to be quoting that every day. In fact, many want that to be the last words that come out of their mouth. And they want the end of that scripture, Echad, to be the last word that comes out of their mouth. Because that word, one, had such importance and such significance. When you look at it in different translations, it helps to give us that full meaning of that word, one. Here's the NIV. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Here's another translation. Listen, O Israel. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Here's another one. Israel, remember this. The Lord and the Lord alone is our God. And the Amplified. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord, the only Lord. 
And then this translation, listen, people of Israel, the Lord our God is the only Lord. Here is a paraphrase. Attention, Israel. God our God. God the one and only. And then here's another paraphrase. Listen, Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord is the only God. One is so important. One means one. It means alone. It means alone and only. It means by myself. One is so solitary and is so set apart from everything else. And God identifies with that word one. And you know that. We know who the one is. Why don't you just go ahead and praise him. We're in church. Let's do it. Hallelujah. The importance of the word one. The word one is the first in a series. It's the most fundamental quantity in math. You think about it. You take that word one. You take that, that concept and you teach it to children. And you show them something. You pick up a stick. You take a, an object and you say, here's one. Then you take another object and you go, there's another one. We add these together and you get two. Then you put another one there. And you use that as the building block for all of math. And then when you get into more complex math, when you get into um, multiplication and division for those little children, then you begin to also use that concept of one. And when you get into division, you look at fractions and decimals, you take a one whole and you begin to cut it in half and cut it in quarters and, and you just begin to work on it until you understand. In fact, the metric system is built on one and, and it, you go in one direction or the other direction. It gets bigger or smaller depending on how you're looking at it. But one is so important in math and so important in every other aspect of life. It's the description of a unique solitary unit. It's the measurement representing completeness and wholeness and fullness. And God identifies with being one. In Exodus chapter 20, we have the Ten Commandments and every one of them so absolutely crucial. The very first one of those Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 2 I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. He's saying, I am Yahweh, your God. And there are no other gods that you can ever have because I am God and there are no other gods. It was so fundamental. Jesus quoted this when the devil came to him, said, if you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll let you have these kingdoms. And Jesus said, no, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. If he is God, then everything else is not. If he is God alone, then anything else cannot be God. You are not God. I'm not God. It's not your spouse. It's not your boyfriend. It's not your girlfriend. It's not your mama. It's not your daddy. It's not your kids, not your grandkids. It's not your family. And we believe in the importance of family and marriage and raising up children and grandchildren and, and all of that. We believe in that, and it's a high priority in Scripture. But that is not God. That is not the main thing. All of that has to flow from God. God has to be the foundation. He has to be in the middle of it. He has to be leading it and guiding it. It's not your friends. It's not your house. It's not your car. It's not your possessions or your vacations or your money, your physical health, your exercise plan, your other plans in life, your dreams, your education, your career, your ministry. None of it is God. There's only one, and it is he. He is the one. When he came he had a plan we couldn't get to him so he came to us and because of his very nature he did not come in many ways as some world religions believe and many people believe but because he is one he came in one way that's how he operates that's who he is he identifies with one and when he came he came 
as a baby born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, Emmanuel, God with us. That's how he came. Zechariah 14, 9 in the complete Jewish Bible says that then Yahweh will be king over the whole world. On that day, Yahweh will be the only one and his name will be the only name. Hebrews 1, 3, God who at sundry times and divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son whom he hath appointed heir of all things by whom also he made the world who referring to the son being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person Notice, person is singular. Express image means exact image. If you want to see God, he came and he showed us. He said, look in my face, look in my eyes. When you have seen me, you have seen the Father. The one has come down to dwell with you. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. Colossians 1.15 says, he is the image of the invisible God. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, using the same wording of Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, but now pointing to who that one is. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And in verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Colossians 2, 8 and 9, for in him, that's Jesus, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. All the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Jesus bodily. In him was all of God, and yet all of God was still controlling the universe. How could that be? It's the mystery of godliness that God was manifest in flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. When Jesus told those who were listening to him, he said, I and my Father are one. That is different from in John 17 when he was saying, that they would be one as we are one. He was speaking as a man there. And he was saying, I've got this relationship in prayer and I want them to also have that relationship and to be unified in the spirit because he was looking forward to the day of Pentecost when they'd be in one mind and one accord. That was John 17. But in John 10, he's making a statement of identification. In John 10, he is actually identifying with Deuteronomy 6.4 when he says, I and my Father are one. He made certain that he put that word one at the end of that sentence because he wanted them to see that that God of Deuteronomy 6.4, that God of the Jews of the Old Testament, that it was manifested in him. And the Jews got the message because they picked up stones. And they said, we're going to stone you not for doing a good work. Because that you, being a man, are making yourself God. Jesus was God. He was the only God. He was a solitary God. He was God alone by himself. And because he was the only God, he is the only way. There's only one way. The scripture says there is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. You cannot come to God without Christ. You cannot come to God just by having some kind of relationship outside of him coming to us. People say, well, who are you to say that your religion is better than any other religion? Well, I can't. My religion is nothing. Religion is nothing. Religion is man trying to get to God. And we're all the same. We're all equally as good, or in God's eyes, equally as bad. We can't get to God. We can't climb up the mountain. It's too high. And so what God did is he said, they can't come to me. I go to them. We call that grace. And he only came one way. He did not come in millions of ways or thousands of ways or hundreds of ways or ten ways or two ways. He came one way. Jesus said, I am the way. 
the truth and the life. He came one way. I've got to connect with him the way he came. I can't make up my own way. I can't try to be good enough. I can't form my own religion. I can't join that group or that group or that group. I have to come to the way that he came. He came this way. I've got to connect with that one way that he came. I've got to connect with Christ. I've got to connect with God in flesh. I've got to connect with the man Christ Jesus, the mediator between God and man. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only, only, only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus said, if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's only one way to come. It's through his sinless life. It's through the shedding of his blood. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Blood was not just like one of many options that God had. God knew that there was going to be only one way. Only one way to get to us and only one way that we could connect with him and that was through the shedding of his blood it was through his broken body it was through his shed blood at Calvary it was through the stripes on his back the nail prints in his hands and feet and his side and head it was through that torn flesh that hung on the cross and he gave up his last, last breath and says it is finished and he was buried and on the third day he rose again and that is the good news. That is the gospel. That is the way he came. And that is the way I need to connect with him. I need to connect with him the way that he came down to me. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6 say, There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called unto one hope of your calling, one Lord. One faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. The one Lord is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one. He is the Lord of all. He is both Lord and Christ. And throughout all eternity, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And there's one faith, and that faith is your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the work that he did, in what he came to do, and we connect with him through one baptism. And that one baptism is in John 3, 3 through 5. You must be born again. You must be born of water. That is baptism by immersion in the name of Jesus Christ. And spirit, that's receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. And it is manifested the same way it was in Scripture. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. He is one, the one, and he came one way, and we can connect with him one way. The way, the only way. That's why Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost when he was asked, men and brethren, what shall we do? He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. He wasn't just giving some good ideas or options. When he said repentance, he was repeating what Jesus said. Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. You see, when you claim this oneness, it excludes everything else. You've got to repent. There is no way around it or you shall perish. You must be born again. You must be born of water and spirit or you cannot enter the kingdom of God. We've got to follow his plan. He has one plan and that plan comes from his oneness 
This is why Paul, after many years of serving him, never lost sight of who God was. He saw it. He saw the revelation. He had it. He grasped it. He lived it. He preached it. He taught it. He wrote it. And he was still pushing forward. In Philippians 3.13, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The greatest commandment requires the greatest response. The great commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. It all comes down to one thing. It's him. It all comes down to one. One. And everything that you have planned in your life, it better spring out of the heart of God. The one God, he has a plan for your life. He has a mission. He has people. He has places. He has things. But it better come from the one. Your getting to heaven is not going to be, well, this is the way I was taught. Forget that. Well, this is the way that, no, forget that. Well, I have already, good for you. But this is a one-way, one God, one thing that you've got to get a hold of. Get on the pathway. Don't look to the left or to the right. Keep your eyes straight on. Move forward, forgetting those things that are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press. I press. Every day is a pressing. Every morning is a pressing forward. I'm reaching. I'm reaching. I'm not there yet, but I'm listening for a trumpet sound. And at that moment, I'm going to rise up and I'm going to see the one face to face. I will behold him in his glory. I will see a throne and one that sits on the throne and I will worship him and I will glorify him and he will be the light of that city. All eyes will be focused on him forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Stand with me this morning. Lift up your hands to the Lord and let's worship the one right now. Jesus, we worship you. We glorify you. We magnify you. We exalt you. Jesus, you are truly the one and there is none other. You are God and you are God alone. We worship your name. We glorify the name that is above every name. At your name, every knee shall bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We give ourselves to you today, Lord. In Jesus' name, this altar is open. If you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, would you please come forward? We've got Brother Brant right here. He's ready to uh, get you ready for baptism. Brother Mark Molina there. These men work in our baptism ministry. Brother Molina over it. And we're going to baptize you in that name that is above every name, the saving name of Jesus Christ. Come to one of these men and let them know that you want to be baptized this morning. You come to faith in Jesus and repent of your sins and you can be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. If you need the gift of the Holy Ghost, if you would come up and tell one of our prayer warriors here at the altar that you would like to receive his Holy Spirit. Maybe you've had a relationship with God in some capacity. Maybe you've, in the past, gave your life to the Lord and you've believed. Well, this morning, God wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit. This is your opportunity to come 
And now this altar is open for anyone who wants to come and make that commitment of themselves to the Lord. Your chance to give them everything this morning. Why don't you come? Come up around this altar and pray with us today. In the name of Jesus, we worship you, God. We worship you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 